Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. I've got your ups and downs for today. Uh, might be a little bit quicker. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today and, and for the last couple of days. That's why there hasn't been a ton of podcasts, but also uh, really had a, a weekend of falling back in love with the game of baseball and and I want to talk to you all about that a little bit in another podcast then I got some stuff I want to do on Ubaldo Jimenez, Brad Hopp, and Jason Jennings being back over the weekend and actually I've got quite a bit of Ubaldo Jimenez content coming your way especially those of you who are subscribed to the Mile High Sports YouTube channel which I really hope you'll do I've some of my favorite stuff that I've ever made covering this Rockies team is going up right there uh, right now on the Mile High Sports YouTube channel. And so if you haven't yet, I really, really do hope you'll you'll go and check those out. And, and I'm, like I said, more Ubaldo stuff coming your way. But got to go through this week of action with you as best I can and give you your ups and downs. Uh, but just know that, yeah, I've got a lot more stuff coming in the next couple of days on that. So Five and two this week. Very good week. The Rockies beat the Marlins. The Rockies beat the Mets. Uh, they were close to almost sweeping right through all of it. They really could have won every ball game that they played this week. A lot more ups than downs. So let's go ahead and start with the big one. And I'm going to start with the big one broadly and then the big one individually. And that is the offense, broadly speaking, has just looked so, so much better. Over the last week, kind of across the board, obviously there are always going to be a handful of individuals who aren't, you know, hitting right now. That's just the nature of the game of baseball. But really, the Rockies got a ton of contributions uh, across the board from just about everybody this week. Uh, Obviously, Ryan McMahon had a massive weekend and, and something we've been looking for him to do for a while now. You know, it's... As I've often said about him, he's always been streaky. He was streaky in the minors. Um, I I used to compare him to Carlos Gonzalez in that way, hoping that that was kind of the the type of hitter that he could become. And and obviously that's not been what he's turned into. But it's also worth remembering during those times when he's really, really struggling, right, that he is likely to get hot. We've seen it throughout his career, even though he – hasn't managed to get that that old OPS plus up over a hundred in his career, right? He, his last couple of years, it's really sat right there in the in the nineties, and that's actually where, with the good weekend, he got himself back to as quickly as that, right? You hit three home runs and and you drive in a bunch of runs, and all of a sudden his OPS plus is back to ninety five. I suspect he'll go on a, a little bit of a run here I, again. I think he he tends to get hot. I wouldn't be surprised if he carries that through. Arizona and Kansas City, and even just really has a nice month here, right, after a couple of, of pretty frustrating ones. Uh, and, and at the end of the year, I won't be surprised if he's right back to around average, but <clears throat> there's still that part of me that thinks and maybe hopes that at some point it the the hot streaks will get longer and the cold streaks will get shorter, right? That's basically the hope there. Uh, because obviously when he is locked in like he is right now, like you saw over the weekend, his power is there he can absolutely hit the snot out of a baseball right and and he did on several times and it wasn't just the home runs like he was all over that series um massive doubles he was triple shy of the cycle in that last game so he's locked in right now and you got to be excited about where ryan mcmahon is and maybe again once again allow yourself to hope that he could be maybe ready to to 
lock that in for a little bit longer of a term and find his way into a good offensive season. It's a, it's a long year, and uh, that's why you try not to run away with analysis over April and May, right? we got a lot of baseball left to play. That said, while I'm still on the offense and the big individual that we got to talk about right now is Elias Diaz. Uh, we're far enough into the season now where this is not just a hot streak. Elias Diaz has been one of the best players in Major League Baseball this season. We're, we've we've played enough games now, and he specifically, by the way, I was in there, I was in the clubhouse. Uh, I think it was yesterday. I don't think Mac would have a problem with me telling us. I was just walking by, and Mac looks over, and and actually Diaz wasn't catching. He, he got a, he, uh, wins was in there yesterday, right? Uh, I had a big hit late, and Mac goes, "Oh, you actually got an off day? I thought you caught every single game, brother. <laughs> you know, it's like Diaz has been catching a ton." Already played in 46 games, right? Charlie Blackman's played in 48. He's the designated hitter, right? You got your, your catcher, Chris Bryant's played in 48, right? McMahon's played in 52. Elias Diaz has played 46 baseball games this year. Uh, now, I will say that number is slightly padded because he has come into several games because he's been hitting so well. Uh, there have been times that either Brian Servan earlier in the year or now Austin Wins has started games, um, you know, but had a big at-bat late. Diaz has come in and almost always delivered and then stayed in the game to catch. So so he does have fewer plate appearances uh, than some of these other guys. But with Crone being out, uh, Elias Diaz has more plate appearances than C.J. Crone this season. Like, it's the, the Rockies have never had this with a catcher ever for this long. You know, you have those moments, and I, I, I maybe if you, I'd have to go back and look at the like Jeff Reed season from the '90s, but certainly not since I've been an adult have the Rockies had this. Right, he's hitting three thirty three on the season, on basing three eighty seven, slugging five nineteen. He's hit six home runs. He's got twenty seven ribbies, uh, an OPS plus of one thirty two, which puts him comfortably into that well above league average, like all-star category, right? Which is, of course, what I'm building to here is is he's he's been an all-star catcher. He's been an all-star player across the board. I'm going to talk about his defense in just a second, but uh, as I wrote today and, and published as a part of the um, Mile High Sports Report, which, again, you can get a video version of on YouTube, uh, Diaz, and again, a lot of these numbers I should mention are provided by the Colorado Rockies uh, Communications Department, but... His baseline statistics probably undersell how valuable he's been offensively because he's hitting 455 with runners in scoring position. Right, that's that's how you you, you get the job done. Uh, he's making great contact. He's still drawn some walks when he needs to. Uh, the home run numbers aren't massive, but then you go to the other side of the ball where he's been for the entire season among the league leaders in catcher-caught stealings. Now, he's slipped a little bit, but that's because guys aren't running on him anymore. Like, he, he hasn't failed uh, to, to throw too many guys out recently. It, the word has just kind of gotten around. Uh, you saw it really basically during this homestand that guys were trying a lot less often on him. So his caught-stealing percentage of 40.7 still ranks second. 
Uh, like I said, I think he's fallen down to third now. Yeah, yeah, he, he he was in first for most of the year, but like I said, guys aren't running on him as much, which is even better. Because when you don't run at all, then you don't you're definitely not taking the bag, right? You're definitely not getting that 90 feet if you're just not going to try. So Diaz has been great there. Uh, just to my eyes, he's been as good as he's ever been on, you know, framing, blocking, all that kind of all the things that that go into what it takes to be a catcher. So he has on both sides of the baseball been phenomenal. He's got a, a 2.3 war. I think I'm pretty sure it's baseball reference war. This was again provided by the Rockies, so I'd have to double check that one. Um he's he's fourth in defensive war in the National League, right? So on both sides of the baseball, he has been elite and at a position where that is incredibly rare in all of the game's history, obviously for guys' careers, there are just few of them, but even in individual seasons, right? Salvador Perez is a unicorn, right? You, you just don't get these guys that have longevity and are elite defensive catchers and elite offensive catchers. It's very, very rare. And obviously Diaz has only been doing this now for two months. And I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year, a lot of these numbers come down. Certainly the offensive ones. I think I actually think he's proven to this point to be an elite defensive catcher. Uh, I, I think he's shown that over the last couple of years, especially when it comes to controlling the run game, which is more important now than it's ever been, right? Because all the new rules that incentivize running, a lot more teams are doing it. It's a lot more successful and valuable of a strategy now, except not against the Rockies. It's not. And that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, he's just been the best catcher in the game to this point, uh, which is a weird thing to say about a Rockies player. I have never been able to say that sentence before. <laughs> First time in my professional career where I've been able to say the Colorado Rockies have the best catcher in baseball and and fairly comfortably. And it's incredible what he's doing. You, you, you shouldn't in any way undersell or underappreciate what we are seeing out of Elias Diaz right now already almost a two and a half win season uh just remarkable and that's even before you get to some of the struggles he's had throughout his career and that this is coming like you said 31 32 right he's not like a a rookie or a second year player breaking out this is just incredible and it's another reminder that you know as much as we think we know about this game and these players and, and however much we can project nobody had this you go and find me an analyst in the offseason, local or otherwise, who was saying, yeah, this could potentially be a five-win season for Elias Diaz, right? He might cruise to that, which would be remarkable, absolutely incredible. And I love good catchers, man. I love watching a great catcher. And right now, the Rockies have a great catcher. All right, I spent a long time on that up, but I'm pretty passionate about where, where Diaz is at right now. Let's go to the downs. Almost all of these are going to be pitching-related. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to start with the bullpen. And they. this feels unfair <laughs> because they've been incredible. They have been the shining star in the night for this team. And honestly, they weren't even that bad this week. They were just worse than they've been. This is as bad as they've been. Pierce Johnson blows his first save. Brent Suter got tagged for some runs, which again, I think the last time we talked Brent Suter, uh, about Brent Suter specifically, 
his ERA plus, remember I was making a big deal about it being like at 500 or something, saying it's not a real number. And then this is exactly why, because it's not. <laughs> you can't do that. So he gives up a couple of runs in, in the game the other day. Doesn't blow it, right? Didn't actually end up blowing the game. Uh, but but he got tagged a little bit. It happens. His ERA is now up to 199, which is still absolutely incredible. And his ERA plus is still 258, which if he carried it through the end of the season would be close to the Rockies record. So Brent Suter is phenomenal. But 258 is a much realer number, even though it's astronomical, than that 500, right? That's why early season small sample sizes can be pretty funny. Um, but you still do, you know, again, Jake Bird, Phenomenal all year, gave up some runs. Justin Lawrence, phenomenal all year, gave up some runs. Brad Hand, I, I think his might have been inherited runs. Uh, so, but, but all these guys are still ERA pluses on them, 180, 167, 153. Uh, you know, so they've been excellent. And interestingly enough, they didn't even really blow those games right they made them difficult to watch <laughs> they made them frustrating and anxiety inducing and uh you know particularly the pierce johnson blown save against the marlins where he gives up two a pair of two run home runs and now johnson's era is all the way up to 623 right his era plus all the way down to 83 that's well below the league average in terms of giving up runs right but and i know some people are sick and tired of hearing it he's 11 for 12 in save opportunities he did go out and get his very next chance right without giving up any runs and the one save that he blew the rockies still won the game <laughs> I've, I've said this before too and i think we need more statistics for relievers but i have always believed and Wade Davis taught me this, by the way, <laughs> in case you're wondering. So I've always believed, but but I, I really came up with the idea that there needs to be a statistic for the difference between blowing the save and blowing the game, right? Not to pick on the guy, but Wade Davis had so many blown saves that weren't just like what we saw from Pierce Johnson in that Marlins game where, yeah... They they tied it up, but he didn't give up the lead. The other team didn't leave the ninth inning with a lead, let alone a two or three or four run lead, right? He, he blew the save, but not the game. And it's not that the offense had to come back and score several runs to tie it or whatever, right? It was, it was a tie ball game going into the bottom of the ninth where the home team should have the advantage anyway. And Tovar walks it off for him. So there you go. But... A 633 ERA is not what you want. Oh, 23, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, yeah, you'd like to see that come down. And I, I think it's also indicative of some of the looseness he's been pitching with lately. He hasn't been throwing enough strikes. He's been throwing too many hanging breaking balls, which his breaking ball is so good that sometimes when it's in a bad location, guys will miss it anyway. And he's kind of gotten away with that for a lot of the year. But he hung a couple of those suckers to um, Soler and uh, what was it? What was the other guy? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. The one he hung to uh, uh, Cooper was just almost put it on a tee for him. You know, the one that tied the game up. And it, it was a bad pitch. And he's gotten away with some bad pitches this year and some walks. Too many walks, uh, too much of that. All that said, 
I do think he can tighten it up. I do think it makes perfect sense to still leave him in the closer role. I know for a lot of people, you look at these numbers and go, let literally any one of these other guys close. But when they're all achieving so much success in the position that they're in, and what Pierce is doing isn't really costing you games. And I, and I, I can hear people saying you, you should do it before it starts to cost you games. And you know, that there's absolutely an argument to be made for that. But then you got to think about, well, where are you putting it? You're not getting rid of Pierce Johnson. You know, he's he's got a ton of value. It's a, it's a I think he's been in a little bit of a slump lately. Like I said, I think he can tighten it up. And I think he can be better in terms of the the run prevention. And if it if it does continue, then you can absolutely remove him. If he blows another one, especially if he if he blows not just the save but the game, like I've been talking about. But ultimately, I think you just I I, I would keep running him out there. I really would, and because I do think that mentality is a big part of being a closer, and you don't necessarily know how a guy like Justin Lawrence or Jake Bird would respond to their very first situation. And the silver lining of all of these runs that Pierce has given up is that he has been able to bounce back. He has been able to lock it in and not lose the game, right? That's so important as a reliever to, uh, as a closer, I should say, as the, the guy who's supposed to end the baseball game. There's just a different pressure. I know there are stat people who don't believe this and I just couldn't disagree more. There is it's a unique animal. Every closer I've ever met is one of the strangest people that I've ever met. You know what I the, the, there it is a unique experience to be a closing pitcher in the game of baseball and you do have to have a certain special mentality. And Pierce Johnson has that. Pierce Johnson can come back after the nightmare of a game he had against the Marlins, who who have some really hot hitters right now, but it's the Marlins, <laughs> and go out against the Mets with that lineup, who's expected to compete for a World Series, and I still think those guys are World Series contenders, and shut them down right after the, you know, he's, like, that's the mentality you need to have as a closer. So for me... I know it sounds weird in some ways, but I wouldn't pull him until he actually starts blowing it. All right, I'm going to run through these last ones pretty quickly. Other downs, the starting pitching has been blah as of late outside of Kyle Freeland. That's just what we know. That it, that just is what it is, right? Gomber, not good. Um, Connor Siebold, fine. Sounds like he might be getting replaced by Denelson Lamette here relatively soon. I think those last three spots in the rotation are just going to be kind of a revolving door all year. You know, Carl Kaufman will be up and back, um, you know. And I would make, by the way, a very similar argument about Peter Lambert as I just was about those other relievers. Like, leave him where he is. He's getting success where he is. Let him continue to get that success. And also, everyone should remember and know that Peter Lambert's on a pitch limit. We don't know exactly how many, but he's only going to throw a certain number of pitches this year, a certain number of innings. He basically went two years in a row without putting miles on that arm. And you cannot, nor should you, risk you know further potentially career-ending type of injuries 
because you're trying to win a few more ball games in 2023 right now with Peter Lambert. So, so I understand because he's been so good. Like maybe throw him. He's a starter. Have him. You gotta. You gotta just leave him where he's finding and feeling success. And also, you don't want to put too much wear and tear on that arm right now. But yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of diving into it just because. Well, first of all, I did enough on the first two topics, right? And <laughs> the the starting pitching just it kind of just is what it is right now. Uh, until like Feltner and Noah Davis come back and get healthy, I don't know how consistent it's going to be or how excited you're going to be able to get about one guy or the other. I guess Chase Anderson's been nice. That's been interesting. I should do a whole Chase Anderson podcast this week, actually. That deserves, because I've barely discussed the guy, and he has very quietly just come in and done probably exactly what Bud Black was hoping. Just can I get a couple of quality starts out here? Get a couple of, or, or these modern quality starts, Coors Field quality start, five innings, two runs, please. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. So there you have it. And then the last down that I've got for you here, more errors and mistakes over the last week and a half. Not a ton of them, but they played very well in May in terms of just the tightness. Uh, fewer defensive errors, base running mistakes, those kinds of things. Drop in the third strike, mm-hmm. but they they did a little bit of, of all of that in the last week, right? Guys scoring on dropped pitches, wild pitches. Uh, there was couple of there's a defensive mistake and a base running mistake uh, from Nolan Jones who I'm going to really build up here in just a second uh, in his first game which happens with young players and and I don't know that any of it's particularly indicative of anything which is why I put it at the bottom here Uh, I think it was just a week where they were a little looser in some of the fundamentals and it didn't end up costing them maybe it, it actually might have cost them that first game against New York, which is wild because the pitching matchup was Max Scherzer versus Connor Siebold. <laughs> okay. So I at no point thought that, that game was going to be competitive. And then Francisco Lindor hits a two run home run in the first. You're like, well, with Scherzer on the hill, the ball game is over. But the Rockies brought the tying run to the plate in, in the bottom of the ninth. You know, they, they had an opportunity there. It really was too bad that Jones got thrown out on the overthrow, and he told me the next day that he felt like he cost the team the game. I was like, it was a bad mistake, but you didn't lose 5-2 to two because of your one base running error. He What he did was he cost them an opportunity at a, at a comeback, which is, or he didn't entirely cost them that either. A couple of base hits, and they'd have been fine, but it goes how it goes. Some of those things just got him a little bit this week, and uh, it was especially frustrating because they were playing so well otherwise. And so when you're making mistakes in games, you know, when you make those kinds of mistakes and you're already down 8-2 because the other team crushed your starting pitcher, who cares, right? But when you're in a game that you maybe could have potentially won or stole, like you could have stolen that Seabold Scherzer game if maybe you'd played a little tighter, uh, which is kind of interesting, right? All right, let's end on the big ups, and it's the young guys. Up number two, Tovar. Up number three, Nolan Jones. This is what you want right now. This is what's good. I'm just going to read directly now off the Colorado Rockies uh, notes here. 21-year-old rookie shortstop Ezekiel Tovar logged his first career walk-off hit Thursday versus Miami Marlins with the bases loaded in the ninth inning. It was the Rockies' first walk-off since Alan Trejo's RBI single on September 23rd of 2022. I can't believe I didn't remember that. That's 
wild to me. Uh, Tovar has hit safely in seven of his last eight games, snapping a streak of six in a row Saturday, which was one game shy of tying his career-high seven-game hit streak. Uh, obviously, he's going to be setting a lot of personal records this early on, right? But he's hit safely in 14 of his last 17 home games. And since April 28th, slashing 286, 333, 482. Three doubles, a triple, two homers, eight ribbies since basically the end of April, right? So that, that you like to see. April, he basically went over. Uh, we've talked about that before. I made a lot of Brendan Rogers comparisons. It happens. Since then, he's been kind of what you'd hoped he'd be. Yeah, you'd love to see a little more power in there. There's always been a question about how much of Tovar's power is going to translate to the big leagues, right? I think he could maybe be a 20 home run guy someday, but I think more than likely you're looking at a guy who's around that 15 mark more often than not once he settles into his major league career, right? But if he's going to hit this slash line, 286, 333, 482, maybe get that a little closer to 500 you'd like to see with his speed, some balls in the gap, Coors Field should help him with that. Um, But yeah, that's what you want. But here's why that, which is fine, maybe not right home exciting, uh, you know, going to win you a ton of awards, but pretty good production, especially for a rookie. Here's why that goes from, hey, pretty cool to now we're excited. Tovar already has four defensive runs saved and five, 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 excuse me, uh, on the outs above the average, which is a baseball savant stat, which is fourth best among all shortstops. That's how good he's been defensively. And that's including, by the way, what I thought was a shaky first couple of weeks where he was okay, but there were, I don't know, there were just plays that I know he can make, plays that he was making in the minors that he wasn't quite making at the big league level yet. And now I think he's, again, it's all, he's just feeling more comfortable. He's, he's right in there. In fact, he's he's almost at a at a win uh, on defensive war, zero point eight defensive war, tied for the fifth highest among all National League position players. In other words, Ezekiel Tovar is right on the edge of being already at twenty one years old, an elite major league shortstop. The value of that is remarkable. So if he's going to be able to hit already a little bit and bring you that caliber defense, yep, yep, this is an exciting, exciting player. And I know sometimes, you know, especially with this franchise, they're going to be people that want him to hit 30 home runs because Tulo and Story, and, and I get it, there's a great tradition here of incredible shortstops. And he's not built in that mold, like literally and figuratively. He's much smaller than those guys. <laughs> Story and Tulo are massive people. Uh, for regular, uh, to, to regular people anyway. They're like 6'3", you know, 220 or something, right? Tovar doesn't, doesn't have that. But he's got a lot going for him. And I'm, I'm really enjoying watching him play, especially defensively lately, but... You know, who knows after that walk-off hit, how much of that could just keep instilling confidence. It seems like every day he gets more confident. And that's that's exciting to see. Now we hope it plays out with Nolan Jones. 
How wild is that? First couple of games backup. Now he he has big league experience prior, but it's right his first introduction to Rockies fans, Coors Field, um, you know, a, a re debut, if you will, at the major league level, and you get. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. <laughs> Good luck, kid. And and like I said, first game was a little bit shaky. He admitted to me I was really amped up. You know, I made some mistakes. He actually said Vinny Castilla really helped him out after the game and not you know beating himself up too much about it, whatever. Uh, but then he goes on the next game, a couple base hits, a couple of ribbies, got a double down the line off of Justin Verlander. Uh, it's been great to see him in there. Doing his thing. The Rockies actually playing him. I, I do think he's off today, but that is first couple of days up. Couple of really tough veteran future Hall of Famers. Two, no doubt, almost certainly first ballot future Hall of Famers. <laughs> and and he hung in there. In fact, even found success against Verlander. And that was really cool to see. Uh, also, just so you know, Nolan Jones is not just a big guy. He's got a big personality. And I really hope that he can figure it out and hit enough and play and, and become a, one of those guys for this team because, boy, is he fun to talk to. <laughs> but he's a funny guy. Uh, he's interesting. He's got a lot of personality. He doesn't mind showing it. And, you know, some of the guys have a, a ton of personality, but they don't want to show it to the press. <laughs> and so there's always been that kind of interesting relationship. But he's there are things to be worried about primarily the strikeout stuff that's always going to be you know him and tolia that's the conversation will always come back to strikeouts on the field because if the other things line up the guy's just an athlete man he's he can play he can throw he can run and he can hit the ball a mile so I hope he keeps getting his opportunities. I don't know exactly what the timetable is on the CJ Crone return, but I hope that regardless of what that situation is, first of all, the Rockies shouldn't be rushing anybody back, right? Don't No need to rush anyone. And furthermore, just play him. Just play him as much as you can. I imagine if and when the team does get fully healthy, he'll probably be sent back down to the minor leagues again. But he's showing you some stuff. And you gotta start trading these veterans and make room for these guys. Not right now, though. I, I actually do understand. I'm I get why you try to increase the value on these veterans and trade them at the deadline, but man, that has to be the move. That has to be the move. If they end up with these guys past the deadline by these guys you know i mean profar mustakis gritchick man gritchick's been great someone's gonna want gritchick right come on if someone wanted him right now like that's maybe the guy who, who a team might call you about right this moment but you do have to let it play out a little bit i get as impatient as anyone else but yeah it's fun watching nolan jones play isn't it so those are your ups and downs for you. Let me know if I missed anything big. Like I said, I do have a lot more individual conversation coming for you this week. So uh, anything else that I didn't talk about, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to get to it. And you can let me know what you think you'd like to hear by hitting me up out there on Twitter. And you can always slide into my DMs and ask about the private Discord channel. I appreciate you all for being absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.